Greetings, my friends. Welcome once again to yet another Royal Ramble Sunday. Yes, we are back on Sunday this week, thanks to WWE going back and forth on whatever night they want to do their pay-per-views, or, excuse me, premium live. You know what? I just can't say it. Let's just stick with pay-per-view for now. So the last few weeks have been pretty eventful with lots of stuff going on and we're still basically only a month removed from Wrestlemania so we've been playing the reset game ever since, at least in WWE land. But like most weeks, I try to keep these shows very topical. There isn't a lot to review this week although I did watch the New Japan show last night which I thought was pretty good. The entire wrestling business seems to be building up Tomohiro Ishii for something as he picked up yet another win last night over Eddie Kingston. I don't know where this win streak will eventually lead, but I'd love to see him on the Forbidden Door show next month against one of the top AEW stars. But moving along this week, I wanted to focus on one of the hottest trends that exists today in pro wrestling. Actually, it's one that's existed ever since I've been a fan of the business and probably decades before. There are a lot of tournaments going on these days. New Japan has their best of the Super Juniors, we've got the men's and women's Owen Hart tournaments going on in AEW, and then WWE has the breakout tournament for their NXT brand. I've always been a fan of the tournament concept. I like the idea as a way of not only building new stars, but also advancing existing feuds and establishing fresh ones. It's such an easy way to get people over in my opinion. So in this episode, I wanted to talk about some of my favorite tournaments in years past. To start, I'm going to go all the way back to the year 1988. It was the year that I started grade school and one year before I became a fan of pro wrestling. And like most fans of that age and in that era, I was all about WWE. For those of you who have questioned why I still watch wrestling when all I do is complain about it, which is only partially true by the way, that's your basic reason. I grew up on WWE. I know what they're capable of and I've experienced much better out of them in my youth. So why not hold them to a higher standard? It's like a previously straight-A student who gets a C on a math test. As a parent or teacher, you know they're better than that, so why settle for mediocrity? You have to push them to do better because you know that they can. So anyway, the first tournament that I was exposed to was at WrestleMania 4. I remember watching this at my old babysitter's house. One of the other kids that she babysat brought over the tape and I had never seen the event previously but was familiar with most of the characters by then so I was very excited not just about the matches but about what would happen next and who would advance. Just to give you some context here, the event was built around this huge rematch between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. They had first met in the WWF one year prior at WrestleMania 3 and there was a very controversial two count in the early stages where many had believed that Andre had actually pinned Hogan who did in fact end up kicking out at 2 but it was very close. For the next year they did a great job of building towards the rematch that would take place February 5th 1988 on a show called The Main Event not to be confused with Saturday Night's Main Event. This match was also mired in controversy, as there was a huge angle involving then WWF senior official I believe, Dave Hebner, and his evil twin brother Earl, who eventually graduated to the senior referee position in the years that followed. Andre was announced as the winner that night due to the shady officiating by Earl Hebner, who I believe made his debut with this angle. The controversy eventually led to Andre the Giant being stripped of the title, a victory that had been stricken from the record books, and the title was to be held up in a massive tournament at WrestleMania 4. 
As a result of this controversy, both Hogan and Andre felt that each had a rightful claim to the world title, and so then-WWF president Jack Tunney made the ruling that the two of them would be entered in the tournament, but would each receive a first-round bye, thus meeting each other in the quarterfinals. And controversy met them there as well, because due to outside interference by the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase and the use of a steel chair, both men were disqualified and thus both eliminated from the tournament, meaning that a new champion would definitely be crowned. Everyone thought it would be DiBiase who initially offered to buy the title from Hogan when he held it, but instead it was the macho man Randy Savage who used this tournament to springboard from the middle of the card to the main event. In fact, Savage had to defeat four men in a single night to eventually become the World Wrestling Federation champion, but not without an assist, of course, from the former champion, Hulk Hogan. Years later, WCW developed their own idea for a tournament, which was a bit more convoluted. It was called Battle Bowl. It was a concept that certainly wasn't for everybody, but I liked it as a kid, and it's something that I think could be resurrected in the modern era, at least as a one-off special. It was basically a lethal lottery tournament where singles wrestlers were paired together after a random drawing and would compete against other random pairings in tag team competition, where each team that emerged victorious would then advance to a two-ring battle royal. But it didn't end there. All of the match participants would start in the same ring, and once someone was thrown out, they were not eliminated. Instead, they had to go over to ring number two, and once you were thrown out of that ring, then you were eliminated from Battle Bowl. The thing I didn't like about the concept is that there were really no stakes. It was more just for bragging rights than anything else, but it was a fun idea. And I'm sure everyone remembers the King of the Ring. I always liked the event, although some years were better than others. Despite popular belief, the first King of the Ring tournament actually took place in the mid-80s, almost a decade before it became a pay-per-view. But I started watching once it was a pay-per-view, and I liked the idea that they would have qualifiers that took place on regular TV while the actual tournament matches happened on pay-per-view, making them seem more special. Plus, it gave you a reason to want to pay for the show, as you had already been following the tournament on WWF Superstars. I really liked the first King of the Ring pay-per-view in 93, but my all-time favorite had to be the 96 King of the Ring when Austin 316 was born. The only thing I didn't like is that most of the tournament matches were seen for free while only the semis and finals were on pay-per-view. But they did a good job of making it feel important, and I think the graphic of the tournament brackets helped a great deal as well. I also vividly remember the tournament that Kurt Angle won in 2000 because it was the biggest one they ever did, consisting of I believe 5 rounds, thus making Angle a much bigger star than they could have ever dreamed of, but also pushing forth other stories including Crash Holly's underdog story. WCW had a massive tournament going on themselves at the time to crown a new world champion after Hulk Hogan had walked out on the company due to creative differences, and Vince Russo was steering the ship off course. This one consisted of a variety of mismatches and poorly constructed tournament qualifiers that it was harder to get into. But you know what, they did produce a Bret Hart vs Chris Benoit final and in Canada, so we can't complain too much. TNA of course had their Bound for Glory series tournament, which wasn't the traditional round robin. Instead, participants had to focus on collecting points, similar to rankings in other sports. Once it got down to the final month before Bound for Glory, the scores were tallied and the top four would advance to face each other in the semi-finals on pay-per-view, and the two that came out of that for the final match, with the winner getting a world title opportunity at TNA's biggest event, Bound for Glory. That was an idea that could have worked if not for several years of bad booking. 
What I don't think ever worked was TNA's other tournament concept called Fight for the Right. It started with 16 participants outside the ring who would compete in a reverse battle royal, meaning that the first eight who made it into the ring would be entered into the tournament. Confused yet? It gets better. Those eight would then participate in a traditional battle royal to determine the rankings for said tournament, meaning that the winner would face the first man eliminated, the second man eliminated would face the last man eliminated, and so on and so forth. What? Yeah, no thank you. There was a pretty good tournament in 2015 when Seth Rollins had to vacate the world title due to injury, and a new champion was to be crowned at that year's Survivor Series. It didn't do too much in terms of building new stars, but the matches for the most part were very enjoyable, especially the great one between Kevin Owens and Neville, who now competes in AEW as Pac. The final match was a little underwhelming, and the aftermath left a lot to be desired, but aside from that, it was a pretty fun little tournament. The last great tournament that I remember, and probably my favorite of all time, was the Cruiserweight Wrestling Classic in 2016. I have always been a fan of cruiserweight wrestling, and this was probably the greatest thing the WWE ever did, at least in recent memory. I mean, you had several hot indie talents involved, including Zack Sabre Jr., Kota Ibushi, TJ Perkins, Cedric Alexander, Johnny Gargano, and Tommaso Ciampa. You also had a couple of former WWE talents who were brought back, such as Tajiri and The Brian Kendrick. The tournament matches were also very long and competitive, and I thoroughly enjoyed the whole thing, especially the fact that you had Mauro Ranallo and Daniel Bryan on commentary. There could not have been a better team chosen for this thing. They also had a couple of good Mae Young Classic tournaments, and I usually enjoy the Dusty Cup tournaments every year, at least based on match quality. AEW also has their Gauntlet Eliminator tournament every November, which is pretty enjoyable as well. Whether you like the tournament concept or not, I don't think there's ever been an idea in pro wrestling or other sports that has produced more stars. I hope you've all enjoyed this reflection of the past, but now as we look to the future, I've got some big shows lined up and possibly bigger interviews. Before I forget though, I just wanted to announce that we have a new submission for this week's personality profile segment. This one comes to us from Rylan Alexander. Favorite band or musician? Audio Slave or Chris Cornell? Biggest thrill in life, podcasting. It's become one of my biggest thrills as well, I have to say. Person you would most like to meet, Xavier Woods. Wow, that's surprising. Favorite sport besides wrestling, he says basketball. Favorite athlete, Michael Jordan. Amen to that, brother, hands down. Favorite TV show, Sons of Anarchy. Hobbies, he enjoys cooking, writing, and gaming. Favorite fast food, Taco Bell. Seems like a very popular choice. Favorite video game, very hard question, but he says Red Dead Redemption 2 is the final choice, but many honorable mentions, none of which were named, unfortunately. Favorite cartoon character, Roger from American Dad. Favorite actor, John Cusack, he says. Great actor. Favorite actress, Sandra Bullock, one of my all-time favorites. Favorite food, cream-based pasta. Secret talent, he says his ability to find a positive in almost any situation. Great talent to have. Favorite movie, he says true romance. I don't believe I've ever seen that one. So that wraps another week. Next week, I will be previewing the AEW Double or Nothing card, including my fantasy forecast for the Forbidden Door event. Until then, I'll leave you with an A, B, C, yeah.